It's a privilege to be with you and appreciate Brother Matt allowing me to share the pulpit. It's hard uh, very often for pastors to do that. He is so gracious uh, to do that. I'm going to go ahead and tell you the scripture because uh, I, I chase rabbits. So um, it's just my nature. I will speak this morning out of Mark chapter 5. You know the story. It's of the Gadarene demoniac, which is kind of odd in a graduate uh, uh, sermon day. But I'm a storyteller, and I'm going to tell you three stories today. Uh, one here in the Bible, and the other two because of the Bible. I believe that Jesus Christ is the living Son of God who has always existed. That's why schools like ours, Shorter, which is really your school, it's not my school, I just serve there. We have one executive, he lives in heaven, the rest of us serve there. And we have duties and responsibilities, but it's your school. It's one of the three uh, Georgia Baptist Mission Board schools. Uh, it's the best, of course, and if I didn't believe that, I need to go somewhere where I can say that. And the other presidents would say that as well. While you're turning, I do want to brag on your school a little bit. And I hope you don't mind because you support it not only with tithes and offerings but prayers, but you deserve a report. One of the things that I'm so excited about is our students make a tremendous difference. We are uh, the number 20th ranked school in the Southeast Regional Colleges. That's public or private. That's pretty good. We're on a Princeton Review Best College in the Southeast uh, our nursing program is ranked sixth in the state, public and private, with a pass rate of 90%. We'll work the stew out of it if you come out there, because you deserve it. You deserve it. We have a 90% pass rate for students who are going into medical school, veterinary school, uh, law school. We also, our MBA program, our online MBA program, in sport management is ranked fourth in the United States. Alpha Chi, which is a national honor society, Emory has it, uh, SMU, Baylor, a lot of schools. This year we were ranked number one in the country. I have a little cup in my office called the President's Cup. Dr. Vosovich, who's head of it, said we've actually won a national championship, something none of the sports teams have done in two years, the academic side did. So uh, the faculty will think that's quite a hoot. I say all that because your investment in, in these students' lives is turning a profit. And by that I mean our motto is transforming lives through Christ because without Jesus Christ, nothing is possible. He said that. Without me, you can do nothing. So your graduates today, pray for them as they go off. Pray that God would give them unique wisdom. Uh, they're young people, uh, despite what uh, our young people say. They don't know everything yet. And by the time they get my age, we really understand we know less than we ever thought we possibly could. All that means is you get to depend on Jesus Christ a whole lot more as you get older. And that's a joy. Three stories. I want to tell you uh, one story before I read the scripture because these are three actual historical events. Two of them revolve around World War II. The first one is a man named Jake DeShazer. Jake DeShazer was in the American Army when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941. As a matter of fact, he had been a bad guy, so he was on kitchen police. They call it KP. 
and he was probably peeling potatoes when he heard the news that the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor. Jake DeShazer became furious. Over 3,000 people lost their lives, American lives. As you know, the USS Arizona lies at the bottom of Pearl Harbor, a perpetual tomb for Americans who lost their lives. Almost all the battleships were destroyed or injured. Over 100 American aircraft were destroyed. So Jake DeShazer decided that he would make a difference after President Roosevelt declared a day that would live in infamy and the United States declared war on Japan. DeShazer volunteered for a very dangerous mission. The mission was led by a man named Jimmy Doolittle, who had Georgia ties, as you know, and the goal of Doolittle and the American army was to bomb Japan to show that the American military was still strong, the American military had not given up, and you bomb us, we'll bomb you. And so the idea was to launch bombers off a Navy aircraft carrier, the Hornet. The goal was take off, bomb Japan, come back, and land on the Hornet. That had never been tried before. So they said, we'll do it. The problem is, when you make all the plans in the world, they never go right. What happened was, the Hornet was spotted before it had made its inroad where the planes could land and come back. They had to launch because they had been discovered. When they launched, every one of these planes knew that they could not come back. They decided that what they would try to do is land in China if they had fuel. If not, they would parachute out and hope for the best. Jake DeShazer was on one of those planes. DeShazer's plane made a successful bombing run, but they also ran out of fuel. As they ran out of fuel, they had to parachute out. They parachuted into enemy territory, the Shazer and several of his people were captured. I want to read what he said. He said, when our plane ran out of petrol and members of the crew of my plane had to parachute down into enemy-held territory, we were captured by the enemy. The bitterness of my heart against my captors seemed more than I could bear. Taken to prison with the survivors of another of our planes, we were imprisoned and beaten, half-starved, terribly tortured and denied by solitary confinement even the comfort of association with one another. Three of my buddies were executed by a firing squad about six months after our capture, and 14 months later, none of them died of slow starvation. My hatred for the enemy nearly drove me crazy. I was a prisoner of war for 40 months, 34 of them in solitary confinement. Jake DeShazer had time to think, as many people do, about their lives. And Jake DeShazer, when you get bored, what do you typically do? If you've ever been to a doctor's office, you get bored, you pick up a magazine, which is always about something you're not interested in, but I'm sure bored, sheer boredom, you read it. DeShazer was given a copy of the Bible. 
He began to read it and he found a verse that struck him. It said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In his solitary confinement in a prisoner of war camp in Japan, Jake DeShazer accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He was liberated, the only person who survived out of his plane. He was liberated. He went back to the United States and God placed on his heart a missionary imperative. And you guess where he went back as a missionary? Japan. And he labored there for years and years, printed a little tract that said, I was a prisoner of Japan, handed it out by the thousands to men and women who needed to hear Jesus Christ. The second story, Mark 5, verse 1. I won't read all of it. It's the story of Jesus encountering a man who had been possessed by demons. Verse 5, chapter 1, this is talking about Jesus and his disciples. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerizines. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And when he had his dwelling among the tombs, no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed before him. Shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. He began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. All three stories have something in common. Two points to all three stories. One is Jesus gave every person that I'm going to talk about this morning the gift of forgiveness. The Bible says that all humans fall short of the glory of God. Everybody sins, no matter how smart, no matter how much we dress up. No matter how much we smile, how much we look up, we are all hopelessly lost because God demands perfection. And no one has ever measured up. Everybody has fallen short of the standard. Jesus came to give forgiveness and liberation to this man. Look at what the demons did to this man. You and I are in a war. We just don't always know it. There are only two worldviews in all of life, the worldview of God who explains his worldview in the Bible, and Satan who uses every device known to us to trap, 
addict, and destroy our lives. Satan only has one goal, and that is to destroy you and me every chance he gets, and he does it with glee, he does it with malice, and he does it slowly so that other relationships can be destroyed along with ours. What he does, you see the condition of the man? First thing the man has, his own dignity is destroyed. How many of y'all got up looking like you did this morning? Came to church, looking exactly like you did. We, none of us did. Some of us coiffured our hair more than once. We got up the men, we shaved a little bit, you know, most of us. We combed our hair, we did all these things. We have a sense of dignity that comes from God. We are created in the image of God, it says in the book of Genesis. We have a dignity. We like to carry ourselves. We like to look good, don't we? Some people look gooder than others, they say. But we like to look good. This man had lost that ability. He has been thrown out. He has no clothing on. He's living in shame. The man also loses human companionship. God said in the beginning, before sin ever came in, he said it's not good that the man would be alone, so he created a wife for him. He created a companion for him, someone to talk to, someone to love, someone to care about each other so that they could build a life together. I like to watch people. How many of y'all like to go out and eat on occasion? You probably don't do this. You don't have to raise your hand, but I like to listen to what people are talking about. I know you don't do that. I also like to see what people are eating. I know you don't do that either, but I kind of look over there and see what are they eating? Does that look good? What are they talking about? And then you've got to figure people are looking at you too, so you have to be careful about it. We like companionship. We like to be around people most of the time. This man had lost that relationship, kicked out of town, and I guess they didn't want him to come back. They wrapped him up in chains. They put shackles on him. Don't come back. We don't want you here. The man also was in physical agony. He's cutting himself with rocks. He's doing that because he's in psychological agony, because he has these demons living inside of him, and he doesn't know, and he's incapable of getting rid of them. This is their goal, to slowly destroy this man in every aspect of his life. Don't be deceived. Satan has the same desire for you and me. As a matter of fact, he even... Jesus told Peter, he said, Satan has desired to have you to sift you like wheat, to just tear you to shreds. And there's not a human being on the planet who is capable of stopping what Satan wants to do. So what does this man do? He's lost all these things, and the last thing he's lost is his own identity. My name is Don. I like my name. I will always be known as Don. If I was born, raised, that's how people know me. This man lost that. Jesus said, what is your name? And the demons respond, our name is Legion, for we are many. A Roman legion could contain as many as 6,000 soldiers. The poor man can't even respond with his God-given name which would have been a name that probably would have reflected God because the Jewish people did that. They gave names that reflected something about their commitment to God. So this man is totally 
at the mercy of these demons, totally gone. And you know who's there to help? Nobody. They've all given up. They've thrown him in a cemetery. They've cast him out. Now I want you to compare and contrast that with the nature of Jesus Christ. The first thing Jesus does is to demonstrate to this man his divine sovereignty. That simply is a fancy word to say that God is in control of everything. God has never lost a battle. God has never had an emergency session of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has never been scared of what people or demons or anybody can do. He has never known fear because God is in control of the universe. There's not a planet that moves. There's not a black hole that exists. There's nothing out there that God doesn't already know and have complete, calm control over. Nothing. When Jesus walks up, the possessed man sees him at a distance and runs and bows down before him and even said, Jesus, why are you here? He recognizes the authority of Jesus Christ and demons who are greater in power than you and I bow before the King of Kings. They recognize it. They're afraid of it. And they say, we beg you, don't torment us. The word torment is used in the book of Revelation, the same word to mean judgment. They say, don't throw us away. In another, in Luke's version, they say, don't throw us into the abyss, meaning don't throw us into the holding tank until judgment. We're having so much fun tormenting this man. Leave us alone. Now, isn't that ironic? That the people who are doing the bad things, the demons, want to keep doing it, but they themselves want mercy. Jesus said, you've got to come out. Jesus not only demonstrates his divine sovereignty, he also demonstrates his all-consuming goodness. You ever heard the phrase, God is good? People say, all the time. In our culture, I watch. And for you, you people who are going off to college in different places, don't be like the rest of the world. Don't go around and let people tell you that God didn't make the earth. Don't let people tell you that there's not a God in heaven. I, when I was traveling down here yesterday, I had a terrible storm. And after that storm, I saw the, one of the most perfect rainbows. You ever seen one that stretched on both sides all the way across? And see the beauty of that? And yes, I know from physics it's water droplets and all that. But you know, God's a pretty good physicist. He knew how to do that. And so when we understand that there are water droplets and refraction of the light and all that sort of thing, understand that God knows all that. He knows how to do it. And it doesn't contradict the word of God when it says, I put my bow in the sky because God is pretty smart. He would make straight A's at any college he chose to go to. That's not his mission. His mission is to change broken, lost lives into productive ones, to demonstrate his goodness. Jesus tells these demons, get out, leave. And they say, well, at least let's go in those dumb pigs over there. You know, pigs are pretty smart. They're not human smart, but they're pretty smart. 
As soon as the demons go into them, they run off and are drowned in the sea because they didn't even have the psychological and physical fortitude to resist like this man did. And how much in the province of God did he stop this man from doing the same because he was coming to save him? Very often God is protecting you and I and we don't even know it. Just like he protected Jake DeShazer. Just like DeShazer didn't die in the plane jump. He wasn't executed. He didn't die in solitary confinement because God had a purpose and plan for the life of Jake DeShazer. The same thing is true in this man's life. He had a purpose and plan for him. The demons say, let us leave, get out. The people, when they see what happens, they tell Jesus, get out. The man who was saved tells Jesus, let me go with you. You see, there's that worldview. One that doesn't like to confront the ugliness of who we really are on the inside. When the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, saying you have, I have, right there, me. I live in Charleston. We used to use the word weans, us. I am the sinner. I am the reason Jesus had to die on the cross. But what a wonderful God that would care enough about me to do that. In Jesus' goodness, he not only gives this man the gift of forgiveness. And you see, we, we are deceived very often to think I'm pretty good. I, I do think I'm pretty good. I'm not as bad as probably some of y'all here. Isn't that how, what we say? We always pick somebody we know that is worse than us and say, I'm not as bad as they are. We never pick the person, the guy or the woman who's much better. I want to reveal how we do that. You know, we do relative moralism. In other words, I'm not as bad as. I'll tell you a story. I like this story. There were two brothers. They lived in Chicago and they were members of a church. They never came to church. They never did anything. They were gangsters. They lied. They cheated. They stole. They were bad. One of them died, and the other brother went to the pastor who was going to perform the funeral. He said, if you will say my brother was a saint, I will give this church $1 million, which most churches could use a $1 million. So the pastor, he's torn. He's thinking, this guy was horrible. But that million dollars would go a long way. So at the funeral, the pastor stood up and he said this, the man who is before you this morning was a liar, a cheat, womanizer, a thief, and every dollar he ever got was from illegal means. But in comparison to his brother who is sitting here, he was a saint. <laughs> My point is, we do that. We do it. The standard is the Bible, the living Word of God, which demands perfection. Jesus gives this man the gift of forgiveness. He also gives this man the ability to move forward. I won't ask for a show of hands. It should be unanimous. How many have ever done anything wrong according to what the Word of God says? We all have. Every one of us. And if somebody says, I haven't, they're just lying. 
We already know that. We all have. Two things Jesus did in, forgiving the, in giving this man the ability to move forward. The ability to get over his past. If you're a child of God, and you've asked him to forgive you, then you've been forgiven. And we need to learn to live that way. George Barna, who is a researcher, says most Christians can't get over stuff they did in their past. I would just say that, welcome to the human race. If we've done anything, God forgives it if we come to Him in repentance and faith. One of the lies that's being promoted, it's being promoted in colleges, particularly among Christian colleges, is that Jesus accepts you just as you are, and by that they mean you don't have to repent. You just say, I love Jesus and just move on. No, it doesn't work that way. The Bible says, unless we repent, we will perish. That's what Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke. Unless you repent, you will perish. Forgiveness is available to those who repent, who are earnestly sorry for their sins, and say like others, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. The Shazer recognized it. This man recognized it. And the only way to move past a past is to receive forgiveness through Christ. And then he gives us meaningful work. You're going to college to do things. You're going to work. Let it be with Jesus Christ. Devin, you're going to study biology. I was a biology major. Hope you like to cut up things. <laughs> Hope you like to be in labs when nobody else, everybody else playing Frisbee. That's what's going to happen. I heard also you may be thinking about medicine. Let me just say this. Don't let anybody ever convince you that the people you're going to cut on, inject, pull on, or even give bad news to, they're all created through the hands of the living God. They're more than carbon-based life forms. There's nobody like that. You'll never meet the same person twice. They'll be afraid. They'll be scared. And you may be too. You decide to go in something like surgery, you may want to be like Dr. Stephen Brown, who operated on my wife, who said this in his prayer before he operated on God, I'm an instrument of your hands. Use me and give me the very best ability I have, because only you can heal people. Ethan, we'll do something in music performance. Evolutionists tell us there's no reason that we should ever have music. No reason that we should ever sing. It's just incapable with the whole idea. Well, I'm always glad that God does the impossible. You decide to compose, present, promote. Just remember that it is a gift from God. He gave it to you, and he means for you to be doing it flawlessly. And only he can do, give you that gift. Walter, you picked a noble profession. 
be part of the United States military. My father fought in the Korean War. Said it was the coldest place he had ever done, and he slept under a tank just to get warm at night. A lot of his friends didn't come home, and you may be called upon to do something dramatic. You've already shown a willingness to do that. If you find yourself in a position where men and women are facing the ultimate test, don't be afraid to share Jesus Christ with them. Because you may be standing in his presence in a moment you don't think. And wouldn't it be a joy to bring somebody with you? Milligan, you thinking about marketing. It's a noble profession. We do marketing all the time. I've read in the business world that sometimes people lie and cheat a little bit, make themselves look better. I even saw a commercial on TV one night. It says you can order genuine faux pearls. I wasn't smart enough. I had to look the word faux up. It means genuine fake pearls. But people think because it's French, it must be, oh, man. If you're going to talk about something, make sure it's true and accurate because people will judge you, not the product. They will judge you as a person of integrity or not. And you never know when somebody's listening or watching to see whether you believe that Bible that you say you love. Morgan, want to be a dental hygienist, more power to you. All I can say is remember us people who are there, we do have gums and that's living flesh. <laughs> and I really don't care about how many pockets I've got there, just don't stick that little needle in my gums. But you're dealing with people whom Jesus Christ made, whom he expects to live healthy. You know, I heard something that, this is an odd thing, but I was a biology major, that if your teeth are in good shape, it promotes good heart health. Maybe something you do, maybe you're having a hard day, maybe something you do, not just through your profession, but in talking with somebody, will help change your life because you could talk about Jesus Christ. One thing I want to say to all of you, your profession is not just about making money, and looking good and doing good. It's about a relationship and an opportunity God has given to share Him with the rest of the world. And He's not going to give anybody else your job, and He's going to judge you one day for how well you stood up in the face of pressure, for how you decided not to follow the rest of the world, how you decided to be like Jake DeShazer and honor him with your life. I know these things. Some days you may feel all alone and nobody else in the world but if you love Jesus Christ, he's there with you. You may not hear him, you may not see him, but he's there because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is either honest or he's not. 
And if he is, let's trust him. This man wanted to leave with Jesus, and Jesus said, No, you go home and tell others what God has done for you. He was going, he lived in a place called the Decapolis. It was just an area of ten major cities. And he went and he did exactly what he was told to do. Not because he had to, but because of the joy in doing it. There's always a joy in sharing Jesus Christ. Third story. I told you about World War II, Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941. There was a Japanese commander. His name was Mitsuo Fushida. Fushida was the commander of the air force that flew into Pearl Harbor of the planes, of the Navy planes. He was in charge of all of them. And they caught the American military by complete surprise. It was a great victory for the Japanese. As a matter of fact, Fushida, who you will see in some movies on World War II, radioed back three words. Torah, Torah, Torah. Tiger, tiger, tiger. Meaning that the bombing raid was a success. He landed back on his carrier known as the Akagi. So proud. When they inspected his plane, his plane had been hit 21 times by American gunfire, but he didn't crash. He made it back. He was so excited. As the war progressed, Fushida found himself at the Battle of Midway. If you're not familiar with the Battle of Midway, Midway was the decisive war in World War II in the Pacific. Two powerful fleets, Japanese and American, searching for each other. The goal was to destroy the fleet. Whoever finds the other fleet first wins. The Americans found the Japanese. And they began to bomb the Amer uh, Japanese ships. Fushida and his squadron, his planes, had the planes had taken off earlier. They were looking for the American fleet, just like the American planes were looking for the Japanese fleet. Fushida had appendicitis, and he was grounded and could not go with his plane none of whom ever returned. The Akagi, the aircraft carrier on which he was based, was bombed. A bomb hit near him and broke both his ankles, but didn't kill him. Sometime later, because he was on medical leave, Fushida was sent to the island of Guam. The Americans were going to invade, and they did. Prior to the invasion of Guam, Fushida was called somewhere else. The leaders of the Japanese on the island of Guam, because they saw the Americans were going to win and it was a failure, 
they committed ritual suicide and died. Had Fushida been there, he would have been expected to do the same. The war goes on, and Fushida, near the end of the war, is sent to a particular town in Japan to discuss air defenses, the defense of Japan, a number of issues. While there, he gets a phone call that says, you need to leave the conference. We need you here immediately. Don't stay. Don't dawdle. Leave. We need you here now. Fushida leaves. The next day, the town in which he had been was bombed, not just by any bomb, but it was the city of Hiroshima. Everybody at the conference was killed. And thousands and thousands more when the Americans dropped the first atomic bomb. Eventually the war ended. Fushida went back to be a farmer. He was not a stupid man. He understood that he had escaped death so many times. This is the most dramatic part to me of his story. After Hiroshima was bombed, Fushida was sent with a team of officers to go back into the city and see what had happened, assess the damage. Many years later, we know what happens to people when they go in the presence of nuclear radiation. It will kill you. They went to ground zero, Fushida and his team, they assessed the damage, they went back. Within a month, the first one of them was dead. Hair fell out, teeth began to fall out, and one died. Every single member of that party ultimately died from radiation poison, except one person who showed no signs of radiation poisoning. Guess who that was? Fushida. He said this, Life had no taste or meaning. I had missed death so many times, and for what? What did it all mean? I said he wasn't a stupid man. He was called to go by General Douglas MacArthur to give testimony at war crimes because the Japanese had committed many war crimes torturing the Americans like Jake DeShazer and others, executing allied troops, starving them to death. Fushida thought, well, the Americans treated us just as poorly as we treated them. By chance, he saw a friend he thought was dead who had been in an American prisoner of war camp. And he said, well, didn't the Americans treat you poorly? He said, no. As a matter of fact, we were treated okay. He said there was this young woman there who came to see us. Said her name was Covell, Peggy Covell. Her parents had been missionary in the Philippines. The Japanese had captured her parents and said, we don't like Christian missionaries. We're going to execute you. And you know what her parents did? Her parents said, can we have 30 minutes 
before you kill us to pray for you. And after 30 minutes, they killed her parents, threw them in a little hut, and burned it down. And she went and prayed for the Japanese prisoners of war. Bushida was stunned. How can people do that? Bushida happened to be walking along, and a man was handing out a little tract that said, I was a prisoner of Japan. He read it. He said, I, I need to find a Bible. And he began to read it. And he came across the verse that he had read about, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want to read what Fushida said. He said, that date, April 14, 1950, became the second day to remember of my life. On that day, I became a new person. My complete view on life was changed by the intervention of the Christ I had always hated and ignored before. He became an evangelist, by the way. He says, I have traveled across Japan and the Orient, introducing others to the one who changed my life. I believe with all my heart that those who will direct Japan and all other nations in the decades to come must not ignore the message of Jesus Christ. Youth must realize he is the only hope for this troubled world. Peace and freedom, both national and personal, come only through an encounter with Jesus Christ. I would give anything to retract my actions of 29 years ago at Pearl Harbor, but I cannot. It is impossible. Instead, I now work at striking the death blow to the basic hatred which infests the human heart and causes such tragedies. That hatred cannot be uprooted without assistance from Jesus Christ. He was the only one who was powerful enough to change my life and inspire it with his thoughts. He was the only answer to Jake DeShazer's tormented life. He is the only answer for young people today. That was written 50 68 years ago, 68 years ago, by a man who found, before it was too late, the answer. I have a picture of Jake DeShazer and Mitsuo Fushida sitting together, not in military uniforms, but in suits with the Word of God. If there's any hope for you graduates, it is Jesus Christ. No matter where you go, what you do, remember what you have been taught by your pastor, your family, your friends. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and only through him can salvation ever come. Only through him will your life ever be made joyous. Take it from an old geezer who's over the 60th decade of his life, who learned probably later than you did this truth 
But as you get older and older, this truth will get sweeter and sweeter, and so that when you're ushered into the kingdom of God, you'll go in with no regrets, no doubts, with joy, and you won't want to come back, but you will want many to join you there. May we pray together. Father, in these moments, we pray, not just for these graduates, but for this church. Thank you for its pastor and its leadership. During this time of invitation, if someone needs to come to know you as Savior and Lord, we pray that that would happen. But all of us need to commit ourselves afresh. And thank you for the privilege it is to break the bread of life through us who are not worthy to do so. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. We pray in your precious name. Amen.